The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. You can check out HoopBall at Hoop-Ball.com. We've got a couple of little things that have been coming out. Even during the viral quarantine we're all dealing with right now, such as some podcasts, this one being one of them. Corbin Ford, I believe, has put one out here this week. We've got an international spotlight where we're looking at other leagues, our buddy Dio. Doing his doing his sweet work over at the Hoob. David Williams and the Hoopball Grizzlies podcast had an episode. I believe we'll get a Hoopball Bulls episode here coming up shortly. So there's plenty of stuff still going around, kicking around here at the Hoob if you need a little bit of entertainment. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm in the boat with you guys, and it's why I feel like I need to keep pumping out these shows. I I don't know if I'm I don't think I'm alone in this, but maybe I'm Picking needlessly on one particular thing. And for me, one of the, th- obviously the lack of sports is a huge bummer in all of this. I mean, they're massively larger things, issues at play here. But when you look at it from the, let, let's try not to look at it the life and death perspective, because there's a lot of that. That's evident, and it's got my insides twisted into knots constantly, so I'm going to try to ignore that for the moment here and look at it instead from kind of what's the what's the bummer in this? Sports is at the center of it for I'm sure all of us, myself and all of you guys listening to a sports podcast during a sports full hiatus across the globe, basically, at this point. But I think it's more than that. I think sports is the circle that falls within the other circle on the Venn diagram that basically just says new content. There just isn't really new content. And what new content there is, is weird. It's weird. It's looks at the, at the distant past. It's, Stories on players doing stuff in their free time. It's things that, I get it, these are all stuff we have to do. And, I mean, this podcast kind of falls into that, right? We're doing a mock draft right now. Who cares? But it's something. And so I'll lump myself into this. This is just weird content. And we're all soaking it up because it's all we got. There aren't any other options, effectively, but, I mean, I miss late-night satire on television. I miss new things that I can watch on TV that are filmed in front of a live studio audience. I know that this stuff isn't coming back anytime soon. I know that there's this weird surge right now talking about how people need to get back to work quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the goal here, but... Come on, we got to make sure we don't die. So, I just, I, I 
it's it's killing me that I can't flip on the TV and see something that I haven't seen before. That's what's getting me right now. That's what's driving me the most stir crazy in all of this. I just I want to see something that I haven't seen before. And without sports and without new, fresh daily content on most TV networks, most shows have gone on hiatus as well. I know they're you know the Daily Show on Comedy Center. I don't really watch that anymore, but I think they're filming that from a couch. I think Conan Conan O'Brien is doing a show from home also. So maybe I'll I'll give these things a try. I just I got to get something new in my veins while we're camped out here. Quick note here at the beginning of the show before we get into the NBA news and then more mock draft breakdown stuff. You guys have probably seen my tweets. You've probably heard me mention it in passing that we are expecting child number two shortly. But what you probably don't know is that shortly is imminently. I've made a pretty strong push throughout the existence of Fantasy NBA Today to make sure that we just didn't really miss any shows. There is a possibility that there's a day here without a show. Because tomorrow, and I don't want to get into too many of the specifics of it, but it sounds like tomorrow we are likely going to be inducing kid number two. Yeah, I know. You're like, Dan, why are you talking about this on a podcast? Well, I wanted you guys to know what's going on on my end with this because it impacts whether or not there will be an episode. It impacts the the schedule of the show. And we're hoping to get in and out of the hospital quickly when that happens because... That's a, an area where folks are getting infected with this stuff. And I'll do my best. I'll do my very best to try to make sure that there's content every day because I know that you guys are relying on just having this little break, having the ability to throw an earbud in and listen to a show that makes you feel like things are a little bit more normal for 30 or 40 minutes a day. And so I want to, I, I really want to make sure that we give this to you. But there is a very real chance that we don't one of these days. So think about me. Send good vibes. Whatever you got, that'll probably be coming up here in the next 24 hours. On the NBA news side of things, there has been a continued dearth of new stuff. We haven't heard any new cases of COVID in the NBA. But as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast... The fact that we got a bunch late last week wasn't really bad news. It was expected. And the fact that we haven't really heard anything since then is also fairly expected. So I don't think you can draw any strong conclusions from that. One piece of NBA news, and it really was just one guy, but it's one guy that carries a decent amount of weight, and that was Mark Cuban, who did an interview yesterday talking about the, the fact that he wants to try to get games going in May which is pretty remarkable. I don't know. So here's the here's the thing. I don't know that I believe him, and I feel like it's somewhat of an optimistic goal. Maybe it's a goal where a week or two later than that, he would still be satisfied. Basically, the quote was that Cuban thought the uh, if an odds maker were to set a line for when the NBA might come back, they'd say June 1st, and he would bet the under, meaning before that that it would be suspended for less time than that. 
Then I start to think, how can this really work? You can't have teams traveling, right? You can't have people flying around across the country for a normal spate of games. The flying part is actually the easiest part of that entire equation. You just charter a jet, you sanitize it, the team uses that one jet for however long the season goes for that particular team. When that club's season ends, whether it's at the end of regular season or the playoffs, you re-sanitize the jet, or you could sanitize it between every use for all I care. I don't know how long that'll take, but screw it. Pay somebody. People need jobs right now anyway. And then you use it for something else. But basically, each team would have its own personal charter plane. You wouldn't be using the same one for other teams. They would It would be inefficient, but considering the fact that nobody's flying anywhere, nobody needs planes right now, it's it's workable. That's actually the easiest part of the whole thing. The hardest part is if, if teams were really flying to host cities, that would mean that 30 arenas would need to be sanitized regularly. Arena staff... And I'm, I'm talking about without fans in there. So not like, not ushers. Those folks would still not be doing anything. They'd be waiting for regular sports to come back, meaning when we get fans back in the building. But the people that need to turn the arena on, the stadium ops types, they would all have to be under monitored quarantine. Anybody that's there for the actual game operations, and, you know, I don't know that you'd need graphics on a Jumbotron, but... You're probably going to need statisticians, broadcasters, media relations. There are team staff that need to be involved. There are folks that need to be there to run the actual court part of things, the electronics of it all. So, I, you know, I don't know what the exact number of people that comes out to, but all of those people would need to be quarantined in their home, and we'd need to know that their families or anybody that was coming or going from their homes would need to be quarantined. And if somebody is going, and anybody that those people interact with outside of that, that trip. Wouldn't you? So it's this pyramid that extends almost indefinitely, at least three or four levels down, at each NBA venue. Forget for a minute that the players themselves would have to make sure that they weren't doing anything, basically, besides going to and from the arena. Someone would hopefully be bringing them their groceries, not a family member, no one that lives there. Someone drop off a huge couple of giant boxes of groceries outside. Players can sanitize that on their porch and then take it inside. And so now you're talking about, I mean, this is, this is a serious lift. However, however, there are ways around it. They're complicated, but they're workable. And the NBA right now, from top to bottom, I'm talking about players, owners, whatever, coaches, people that work arenas, everybody's looking for some way to make sure that the TV rights get back going again. Because there's a lot of money on the table with TV stuff. Can we do this safely? Has to be the first question on their minds. And I think it, it is. The NBA to this point has handled this kind of from the front. They've been at the front of most of the decisions being made in the sports community. You'd probably have to do this in one city. And you probably have to put the entire league on one city, in one city, in quarantine, if that makes sense. 
So basically what you need is you got 30 teams. I don't know how many people need to travel with each team. I worked in baseball for a long time. That was a big number of people. It's a little bit less than that in the NBA. Uh, let you know you got 12 to 15 players per organization. You've probably got five to ten people on the coaching staff. You want to say s- like six, six coaches, and then training staff. So let's say there are about, and then you've got media relations folks and from the front office that that do travel with the team, broadcasters, stuff like that. So let's say there's like 30 to 40 people that travel that would have to travel, and the, and you make some cuts here. You know they've. Like, the social media person might normally go with the team. That person would probably stay home and just you know, watch the game or listen to the game on radio or something. And and you wouldn't get live video footage on the, the Twitter, that the team's Twitter feed like you might normally get. So there'll be, there would be some cuts here. You know, you, you wouldn't bring all 50 if you wanted to bring 50 people. You'd, you'd try to trim it down to 35 or 40 or something like that. So let's say 40 people per team, 30 teams, that's 1,200 people. That's a lot. You certainly can't put that many in one spot unless unless you could do it all in one spot. So the idea that I think the NBA is considering right now, and we heard them talk about these charity games, is put everyone in one city with one hotel that could hold 1,200 people plus whoever would need to maintain the arena, so call it another 100. I think as liberally we could call it 100. Conservatively, I don't, I don't know that you need 100 people to, to turn on an arena, but you're going to need people to clean things. You're going to need people to deal with locker rooms, stuff like that. So let, let's call it 100. Hell, you can call it 200 for all I care. So you need an arena with multiple locker rooms. You need a cleaning crew. You need a hotel that can hold 1,400 people. And you need transport for those people from the hotel to the arena. Las Vegas is really the one place that comes to mind. I saw that kicked around on Twitter a little bit yesterday, and there were suggestions of different places where this type of thing might work. That one seemed like the one that made the most sense, at least from the stuff I was reading. I think that was our buddy Trevor Lane who had the tweet that I'm I'm thinking of most. Re- I might be getting, I might be misattributing that, so apologies if I am. But I think it was Trevor, who's been on our Lakers podcast before. You can put everybody up in any one of those hotels. They're all shut down. You can fit 1,200 people on one damn floor of those hotels. Probably wouldn't want to. Probably want to spread people out just in case of anything. Or 1,400, whatever number I picked. Doesn't matter. It's all hypothetical anyway. You put 1,400 people in one hotel. Maybe you even use two arenas in the same city if you need to. You get two games going at any one time. Start them at... uh, Oh, I don't know. 11 a.m. Pacific time? And play a game every two and a half hours. Every three hours. You got to have the court for some chunk of time in between. So you go 11, 2, 5, and 8. You go four games per day per arena. Get two arenas going. So throw another 200 people into that quarantine. And you could have eight games a day. And teams could just really play every other day. You're not going to go every day all the time. These teams are going to be just wiped but if you remove travel that does help with recovery i mean these guys could get back to the hotel in eight minutes after the ball game they could even shower there if you want to clean out the locker rooms quicker 
get back to the hotel, shower there, you got the rest of your day, you don't have to travel. Problem is, everybody would have to agree to basically not seeing their friends or family for anywhere from one to three months. And that's a pretty good lift. But, if pulled off, we are talking hundreds of millions of dollars, most likely, and a large adjustment to the salary cap, or preventing a large adjustment to the salary cap. So there might be a push for this sort of thing. When the salary cap comes down, it's the lower-rung players that get hurt the most. So I think there would be a push from the big-name guys to help the, the little-name guys. The owners certainly want the money. And we all want the content. But it's got to be safe, because if even one player escapes their quarantine, if even one player tests positive, you have to shut the whole damn thing down. So this would be, be quite a thing. But damn it, I, good lord, how amazing would that be if they managed to do something anywhere similar to that? And it's doable, and, and it's, it's something you could potentially get done sooner because these, I believe, tests are now coming out that can get results a bit faster. I don't know if they've been a- approved for use this week yet. I think the last I heard was that these quick COVID tests would be approved by late this week or get into use. I think they were approved, but they're not in use yet. So, I don't know. Maybe look at, take another two, two-ish, three weeks on full quarantine, and then you start administering these tests to every single player in the NBA. Every one of them takes it. If you get even one negative, I mean, you could start moving guys out to this quarantine site here as they test positive, or as they test negative, I should say. Hard thing to do, though, to convince people to go out there and wait on somebody else to recover. At what point do you put them back into game action? They have to test negative, that's for damn sure. So anyway, we'll wait and see. I thought that was kind of an interesting comment that, to me, it left this idea in the back of my head that the owners are are talking and they're coming up with ideas because they want it more than we do. Believe me, as much as we want to be watching the NBA, these guys want it to be happening even more. Hundreds of millions of dollars for the owners, the players, the league sitting on the line. So you know they're going to try everything. I also must remind all of you guys that it feels like we've been in lockdown forever. The NBA didn't even end two weeks ago. It hasn't even been two full weeks since the NBA went on suspension. It's barely been a week since some of our biggest cities went into lockdown. It sucks, guys. It really does suck what's going on right now in so many respects. The one thing that I just can't wrap my head around is that people are freaking out. We can't do this forever. We can't do this. Yeah, we know, man. I can't do it forever. You can't do it forever. None of us can do this forever. How long? I mean, has California, California's been on lockdown for what? Seven, eight days? Some states are just going on it now? Who's who's leading this charge of we can't go on lockdown forever? I've had I've had IBS bouts that last longer than this. I know it's hard, I know it sucks, but for goodness sake, people, it's been a week that we've been in this weird universe of not being able to go anywhere. A week. 
I had a Facebook conversation with a, a buddy of mine who is a, a Marine or a former Marine, is a veteran. And he was just sort of looking at all of the stuff going on right now and shaking his head like, look, I'd, I had to fight in wars. I had to fight in wars, and you guys are all losing your minds because you've had to watch Netflix for a week? So, guys, let's. this is not a shame thing. I think that's the worst thing that happens in discussions. And it's become so prevalent on social media. Absolutely awful. As soon as somebody disagrees with you, you try to shame them into agreeing with you. This is not a shame moment on the podcast. Not at all. Not at all. I just want to kind of take a step back. It's a perspective moment. That as much as this sucks, and it does, that's the thing. I'm not shaming you guys. I'm right there with you. I'm in California. We were the first on lockdown out here. It sucks. We're stir crazy. We're going to have a kid during this. But it's only been a week. So let's take a deep breath. Let's get through this stuff together. Let's help people where we can. Let's protect our elders. Because this is a serious thing. But we're going to figure it out. Let's pivot back to the mock draft. We left off at pick number 40. I don't think I can do... I don't think I can rattle off 40 picks that fast, but I'm going to try to. Here's where we left off. I'm going to read you the first 40 in rapid-fire fashion. We'll see if I can pull off the Ace Ventura move again today. (sighs) James Harden, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, Trey Young, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Bradley Beal, Nikola Vucevic, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Aiden, Kyrie Irving, John Collins, Andre Drummond, Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jaron Jackson Jr., Rudy Gobert, Jonathan Isaac, Lonzo Ball, Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, Zach Levine, and De'Aaron Fox. Woo! That might be as far as I can go. I don't know if I could have done another 10. But anyway, let's keep going. Jonas Nader had the next pick at number 41, and he's just on a straight-up Jonas Nader kick at this point. He got JJJ in the third round. He took Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the fourth round. That's a funny thing about mock drafts. When you, when you do it with guys like our buddy Jonas, who you know he's going to target particular guys, it doesn't give you the, the data point that I think you need Which is, where is this guy going to go when you're in a normal mock draft or a normal real draft? Because Jonas is always going to take Shea and JJJ before they would actually go. Shea, by the way, number 52 this last season in 8-cat on a per-game basis. He's been extremely durable, so by totals, he's certainly been better than that. JJJ, who uh, we mentioned with Jonas's previous pick, he's number 65 in 8-cat this year. Neither one of those guys is turning the ball over all that much. The question with Shea is as a someone like a Chris Paul, perhaps. Maybe he gets traded in the offseason. Maybe he gets traded partway through next year as he's kind of shown himself now to still be a solid, viable point guard, even in his slightly more advanced age for an NBA player. Does that then thrust additional playmaking on the plate of Shea? And the answer is, I don't know that you can bank on that. But I love that after getting off to a little bit of a slow start, SGA's had... A much better second half to his season than first half. And the the high pick here in 8-cat is for continued growth. 
maybe an improvement at the free throw line if he could get that up to 82, 83. I don't know that you can expect a whole lot more on the defensive side of things, but maybe a few more assists. Does that 3.3 go up to maybe 4.2, something little like that? I don't think there's a massive leap coming year over year. This season was kind of that opportunity for him. But if he keeps getting better, maybe he stretches the floor a little bit without hurting his field goal percent, which is one of the the good notes on him. And then even if the turnovers go up in a more playmaking role next year, if such a thing does occur, then, you know, in 8-cat, that doesn't really matter. So for me, this is probably a little bit earlier than I'd be targeting him, but we knew it was coming, and so we'll just sort of take that. Kemba Walker went at 42, which is effectively where he's been this year in eight-category leagues, and I don't know that that changes. This might just sort of be who Kemba is now, a guy on a team with other options where he's not the alpha. Jason Tatum has taken that job, and Kemba falls in with Gordon Hayward in sort of the Second grouping. I'll put, Tate, I'll put Walker ahead of Hayward. He's going to shoot the ball more. Gordon's going to be doing a little bit more of the playmaking side. So Kemba is really more the second guy down. And then you've got Hayward, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart that are all kind of in that third grouping. So yeah, with the with the volume dip for Kemba, there hasn't been an uptick in field goal percent, although maybe some of that is related to the fact he's been hurt throughout the year, so it's possible that that does see an improvement next year. I still think this is a really safe and easy pick to make. I mean, Kemba Walker at 42, if that's really where he's going to fall to next year, I'll, I'll take him there every single time. He becomes sort of a, a little bit of an old man type. Steady state Kemba. He'll miss a game here and there with the knee stuff. They might even sit him on back to backs next season. But even if he plays, well, it'll be seventy out eighty two ish. But you know, if they shave fifteen games off, whatever. I, you get you get my drift. That percentage of games played. If you're getting him in the forties, you had a really safe and easy guy to grab. D'Angelo Russell went at forty three. Pretty reasonable spot for him in an eight cat league. Obviously, he's going to see the knock when you go to nine cat. He's averaging almost three and a half turnovers a game this year. He's number thirty nine on a per game basis in eight category leagues. I think you see him play most games next year. He'll take some off here and there just to for you know bumps and bruises. But this was kind of a rest season for him. Golden State was never going to be making much of a push once Steph went down. Then they went into tank mode. No reason for Minnesota to push him, especially with Cat out. They're out of the picture. This is this is a very reasonable spot for D'Angelo Russell to go. You know, I've not been a massive fan of his of his game overall throughout his young career, but from a fantasy perspective, he does some stuff that's pretty good. He scores, he hits threes, he assists. He'll get you some steals, maybe not a ton. Free throw percent has been better this year. That's been a reason he's been able to climb into the thirty some odd range. Field goal percent is always going to be pretty damn low. And so I think you could pretty safely take him in this range. In 8-cat. 9-cat, you you put a knock on him. He'll take a hit. Where the heck is he in 9-cat? 8-cat, he's at 39. 9-cat, he falls pretty far. Uh, 58. 58 in 9-cat. So this would be too early for, him, for me on D'Angelo if you're looking 9-cat. 8-cat, yeah, makes a lot of sense. John Morant at 44, so that's the expectation that he takes a leap, and there are places where he can see improvements. 
Currently, he's number 73 in eight-category league, so it's not that big of a leap for him to make to get into the 40s from there. He's at 18 points per game, a three-ball, three-and-a-half rebounds, seven assists, about a steal, 49% from the field, 77 at the free-throw line. So you guys know my issue is I never fully know what these young guys are going to turn into. That's why I often shy away from them. But with Ja, when you look at the numbers, the thought is he probably can get his assists higher. He probably can get the rebounds higher. I don't know that the three ball. I don't know that the three ball is coming by next year. The steals are oddly low. I hope that next season he can get that up and over one. And frankly, it's possible that they just play him thirty-one or thirty-two minutes next year instead of thirty. And that might be alone. Even if his game doesn't change at all, getting him from 30 minutes to 32 minutes a game, you add some 6 to 7% to each of his categories, and that by itself is enough to move him from 73 to about 65. So then if even one other thing gets corrected, he probably moves into the 50s, low 50s kind of range. So if one other thing, if the free throw percent goes from 77 to 80, or if the steals go from 0.9 to 1.2, or if the rebounds go from 3.5 to 4.5 or 5, or if he hits an extra half a three-pointer a game, there's a lot of ways for him to get to that top 50 mark. So it's a calculated gamble here. You know I probably wouldn't do it because I'm a wimp when it comes to this type of stuff. I'd rather go a little bit more safe, and there are still plenty of safe names on the board at this point. But as far as calculated gambles go, there's a way for him to get to that spot. I don't know if he can clear it. I don't know if he's got the, if enough things are going to be fixable that he gets into that 30-something range so that there's a little bit more value behind his ADP. But getting to this mark, I think that's attainable. Give it about a 50-50 shot. Chris Middleton went at pick 45 in this one. A criminally undervalued fantasy player. He's number 32 in 8-cat this year. He's been great. He's basically a 50-40-90 guy this season. I don't know why he's falling. He's boring, I guess. But he's been awesome. It's not like there's somebody coming back for the Bucks that's going to take his touches away. His job is secure. He's their second in command. He's an all-star. Alex Rickling got this one, and almost for sure that would have been my pick because I picked next, and that's the, oh, 45, Chris Middleton? Yeah, he's going to beat this he's gonna beat this ADP with his eyes closed, or at least get to it. That's one of those guys where it's like, oh, worst case scenario, he's like four slots behind his ADP. I took Donovan Mitchell at 46, which I think is going to surprise some people, but especially when... You're thinking about an eight cat format. I, I just I don't I don't see much of a downside here with Donovan Mitchell. He's had a solid season, if at times a little bit meh for stretches. But he's scoring twenty four points a game, four and a half rebounds, four assists, two and a half threes, a steal. His percentages are anywhere from okay to very good in free throws. And presumably, he'll just keep slowly getting a little bit better. This just feels like a guy who's going to become quietly kind of a Bespressy type, where there was all the hype for last year, 
And then he was sort of underperformed. And then this year it was, well, what's he going to be? And he's been pretty good, but not great and not bad. He's in the 40s. Right where I said you guys should be targeting him and everybody kept yelling at me, 20s! And yes, by the way, you're right. Durability elevates him on a totals perspective. I'm talking about per game right now. People usually draft. ADPs generally get set on per game numbers from the previous year. So the fact that he's playing a lot of games is probably going to get overlooked a little bit. And if he really does fall into the 40s, you get a pretty good deal there. Clint Capella went at 47, which I'm fine with that. He's number 37 in 8-cat this year. He's going to be a low turnover guy, so he's he's a 9-category bump dude. I don't think this is where he goes in 9-category leagues. We still haven't really seen Capella stay healthy for an entire fantasy or, well, reality season. But he's averaging 14-14, a steal and almost two blocks on 63% shooting this year in Houston. And he's going to Atlanta where they're just going to run and run and run and run and run and run and run. And he's not going to have to wait for James Harden to slow down, set everybody up, and then ISO. So I I think he could be pretty damn good. I don't think the rebounds stay quite as high as they were. He was literally the only man on the floor. We've seen it now with Houston that was over 6'6". With Atlanta, you've got slightly undersized John Collins, but who's an amazing rebounder and an athletic phenomenon. So there's going to be someone else out there trying to grab a few of those boards, but Capello will have all kinds of opportunity on that team next year, provided he can stay healthy. So you make this pick in the late 40s with the knowledge that, eh, you know what, maybe he misses you know, 15 to 20% of the games next year. He'll still beat that mark, especially a nine cap. But yeah, again, we're talking eight. Uh, Rob Covington went at pick number 48. It's a, that's a tough one. He's been really, really good in Houston. Ultra low turnover guy. Certainly is his game geared more towards nine cat than eight cat. He takes a hit when you're working against Turner. He's one of the very few guys in that upper echelon of players that takes a hit, an actual hit, not like a kind of levels out when you turn turnovers off on your system. Jonathan Isaac, Nick Vucevic, Rashawn Holmes, LaMarcus Aldridge, those are the other guys in that top grouping that take a hit when you turn turnovers off. So I'm okay with it. You guys know I love Rob Covington. I think he's going to have a great season with Houston, he fits he fits wonderfully out there. I'm I'm actually just you know, the funny thing is I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking, I wonder where he's gonna go in nine cat. I wonder where he's gonna go in nine cat. If this is where he's going in eight cat, does that mean that's also where he's going in nine? I think he'll probably go earlier. Freddie Van Vliet went at number forty nine in this mock draft. He's had a strange season. Injury plagued at times. He's ended up at number 31 on a per-game basis in 8-cap, but of course he only played in 48 games prior to the NBA shutdown. He should be great next year. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be able to duplicate the kind of numbers he's putting up right now. Maybe he doesn't get all the way to two steals a game. I know he does have a really good history of deflections, but perhaps they shouldn't be playing him 36 minutes a night. Doesn't seem like his body's been able to stand up to that wear and tear this season. But the arrows pointed up, really, if anything. Kyle Lowry could get moved next year, which would just create more opportunity for Van Vliet and Norman Powell. It's not like there's anybody coming for his job. I'm, frankly, a little bit surprised he fell to 49. 
He's shown himself this is a full damn season. He's been far better than that on a per-game basis. So the question is just can he hang in there? And finally, at pick number 50, it's John Wall. This is a real interesting one. Let's turn the clock back to the previous season. John Wall was injured partway through, and that's been kind of a thing for him lately. This pick is, I really like it in 8-cat. The fact that there's an Achilles situation, yeah, that's going to slow him down quite a bit. Achilles are tough. But he averaged 21 points, 9 assists, and one and a half steals, and a block, by the way, before he went down two years ago. This, by the way, while shooting only 70% at the free throw line. He's never been a great foul shooter, so don't get it twisted. It's not like he's going to go to the line and hit 83%. But 69 and change was also far and away the worst mark of his career. Now, he had normally been in the mid to high 70s. 76, 77, 78... He did have an 80 in there, mixed in. So if you look at that season and think, okay, well, the Achilles is going to cut him down a bit, coming back from this injury. He's not going to be able to do what he did. His field goal percent will probably come back down from 44 and change to maybe 42. But the free throw should come up. The assists might come down. I mean, regardless, this is eight category. There, the, the fear with John Wall, number one, he's definitely going to sit out. A bunch of games this coming year so whether it's an 82 game season or some other number he's gonna miss probably 15 to 20 percent scheduled and then any small injuries that happen on top of that makes it pretty tough for him to get all the way to his mark especially in a head-to-head league where you know if you're taking zeros for a couple of weeks that really hurts you in roto maybe you get him for again some 80 percent of the season 75 percent of the season in eight cat and you that there's almost four turnovers a game don't hurt you? This is a no-brainer. He was number 30 in 8-cat with that horrible free throw percent happening. I mean, he's he's a top 28-cat kind of guy. Throughout his career, he has been. Nine uh, is a different beast. He's averaged almost four turnovers a game for his entire NBA career. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy for his career that's averaged 19 points, nine assists, four rebounds. 1.7 steals and 0.7 blocks per game. Three-pointers uh, around one a game, but that's been trending up with the league as a whole trending up. 78% foul, foul line, 43% from the field. That's a top 28 cat guy. And because he's coming back from injury and everybody's kind of forgotten about him, he's falling to 50. In nine cat, there's a chance the bottom falls out. You know, if he kills you in the percentages and the turnovers, that's a lot to stomach. In eight cat, though, he can lift you up with some of these other things, and he's going to have plenty of opportunity. Even if he, even if Bradley Beal is the lead horse on that team next year, you can bet your damn bottom dollar that John Wall is going to be the guy right behind him and getting more assists. That's just how it's been. So I have no problem with Wall at fifty and eight cat. I would certainly gravitate his way in Roto over head-to-head because you just sort of get the games where you get them. And it's it's hard to know. When the head-to-head stuff, is he going to miss a week? You look at the back-to-backs, is there going to be a week where they, you know, do they have a two-game week where there's a back-to-back and you're only going to get one? There's little things like that that kind of add up on you. But yeah, I got no problem with it. 
I'm I'm a very conservative drafter in fantasy, but I'm also looking for things that are predictable. Depressed assets that are predictable. I hate drafting guys that start the year injured because that's an unpredictable mark. So, I mean, this is the type of stuff we'll find out as the season gets closer. You know, we'll have our draft. If John Wall's not expected to play at the beginning of the season, then I wouldn't draft him. I'm sure, I'm betting he will, though. That'll have been a very long time since his surgery. Basically a year and a half. But these guys coming back from injury, where you just sort of, you have the book on them, and even if you kind of drop everything by a notch, you just click the the volume button for all of their statistics down a little bit because of the injury, you still know, you still know the profile. You still know what you're going to have by the end of the season, roughly. It's not like some of these chances you're taking on either younger guys where you just, you don't know. I hate not knowing. I do not venture into the unknown. I am not, ahem, Elsa from Frozen. Two. Oh, yeah. The quarantine is taking its toll over here. And that's where we'll put a pin in things. Picks 51 through 60. By the way, uh, we'll talk to these pros after I get through the entirety of the draft. We're going to have some of these guys on. We'll break down their teams and why they made the picks they did. So that'll be fun also. More things we can talk about during quarantine break here on Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Baspris. This is a hoopball presentation. Hopefully back at you. Hopefully back at you tomorrow. If not, you'll know why. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. If you can, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Maybe. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.